Good morning. My name's Don. I'm uh, glad to be here with you again. My uh, role for the next little while is every now and again to show up and help on the teaching team. So help. No, no. I'll do anything for a little bit of applause. Hopefully you have one of these things. If not, every time um, on Sunday, the very first lesson is one that we're going to look at. And this whole theme is on hope, which is a great theme for us as we go through this transition time. And uh, today we're going to talk about identifying hope. And uh, introduce you to a thing called the list, which will be the, the theme running through these next few weeks, the list. I had a little short list of lists that we have. I mean, there's the bucket list. There's the honeydew list, which, yeah, shouldn't even be said in church. Um, there's Christmas list, list that we have for Santa. There's the unsaid list that we have. It's three, three lines long, just in case we ever find a genie in the bottle and we get three wishes. The list that's on here, though, is called a hope list or a wish list. I don't know if you have anything like that or not or if you ever considered that or if you ever written anything down like that or maybe it's just in your head. My question for you today, though, is, with that list, what happens to it when you bring God into the picture? What happens to it when you let him take a look at it? You get ready to offer it to him. We're going to look at that a little bit this morning. Our text is out of the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles or want to turn on your Bibles, our, I think it's on the screen. Uh, the 10th chapter, verse 46 start reading and I'm going to break it up a little bit and then at the end we're just going to have some application and some time to respond. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to hang on just a second there. This is in the old, old city of Jer Jericho that Jesus and his disciples come into. If you know um, New Testament, Jericho is an important city. This is like the last miracle Jesus does before he goes to the cross. It's one of those last few miracles that starts to get the attention of the, of the religious elite, and they're going to start coming after him pretty strong. If you go into history, it's the city that Mark Antony gave to Cleopatra. It's a beautiful city, a city filled with palm trees and citrus. There's a lot of water. It's like an oasis in the middle of the desert, and it's, it's known for the, its, its gardens and its beauty. If you go back to the Old Testament, you remember Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. And what happened? The walls came tumbling down. You guys need to go back to Sunday school here. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty important town. And, and Jesus is walking through with his disciples. And a great crowd gathers together, a huge crowd, like a parade-type crowd. And they're so fired up because Jesus is well-known by now. And he's going to head up to Jerusalem, which is like a six-hour walk straight up this mountain to uh, the Passover feast. And they're going with him. And they are pumped up. And it tells us during the middle of all this, 
they're introduced to Bartimaeus. And as you set the scene, there's this barrage of verbs that I just think make this, this whole story come alive. Here's Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. He was sitting and begging. Probably, probably the roadside he always sat at. There's old Bartimaeus with all the beggars. There are many beggars during those days. They were despised. What made him even more despised than anything else is that he was blind. And in those days, if you were blind, they thought you had some kind of spiritual problem that God was punishing you for. So you would snarl your lips. But he's there looking for an, an ounce of hope somewhere. That if he's there, an almsgiver somewhere will, will drop some money into his cloak and he'll have enough to sustain himself for another day or another week. And he's hanging on to that. What, what bridles his hope a little bit more and what lifts his hope a little bit more is there's a parade like none other times. There's a lot of people he can, he can perhaps catch the attention of because it's all laying out on somebody coming up and giving him some mercy and some help. He's begging. He's asking. He's pleading. He's been there before. He's there all the time. And it says... He heard. He's, he's sitting, he's begging, and he heard. When you're blind, usually your, your hearing becomes more acute. And he heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. He heard the clamor above all the, the, the loud noise of the crowd that Jesus of Nazareth was, was going to walk by. But I have a feeling he heard more than just that. I think he had heard of Jesus already. I think he would tell you, if you interviewed him, we have no record of this. This is my imagination. I think he would tell you, I heard about that Jesus. When he started his ministry, he started in a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he opened up his very first sermon, a prophecy of Isaiah, and it said, I'm here to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, and to recover sight to the blind. And then he closed the scroll and he said these words, today, this very hour, that prophecy is fulfilled. Boom. This is more than just Jesus of Nazareth, Bartimaeus would say. I've heard of him. Just prior to this parade coming through Jericho, Jesus and his disciples were in a town between Jericho and Jerusalem called Bethany. And in Bethany, he stopped and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. You think news of that hadn't crept down into Jericho? Jesus is freeing the captives. He's giving sight to the blind. He's, he's good news for the poor. And here's poor, blind Bartimaeus, captive to his own circumstances. And I heard Jesus not only can do something about it, he is doing something about it. Depending on the timeline, and the various gospels have it differently when Jesus is actually on this, on this parade route, quite, quite probably, as the parade was making its way through Jericho earlier, a day or two earlier, there was this little old man who climbed up into a tree, kind of a short guy. You ever hear about him in your Sunday school classes? He was a wee little man, Zacchaeus. 
He was a despised little man. The only people that were despised more than beggars and blind beggars were tax collectors. And that was Zacchaeus. But Jesus stopped and he called Zacchaeus down from the tree and he went and had dinner with him in his house and changed his life and changed the trajectory of his life. And Bartimaeus had heard about this and he's going, I wonder if he did that for a guy like Zacchaeus. I wonder what he might do for me. He'd heard. He'd heard enough to, to shout out to get Jesus' attention as, as the clamoring crowd started to recognize that he's close by. But notice he didn't call out Jesus of Nazareth. He called out Jesus, son of David. He used the Messiah term. You're more than a rabbi from Nazareth. Son of David, Messiah, the one who has all the promises of our King David, the one who has all the promises in the covenant of Abraham, the one who God has promised us, that Jesus, and he shouted at the top of his lungs. The word for shout here is, is a very interesting word. It's not like just what I'm doing right now. It's louder than that. It was used by some of the gospel writers to, to describe the demon-possessed man when he shouted out. It's used sometimes by the, the historians of that day to describe childbirth pains and the noise a woman makes. It's loud. It had to be loud because there were so many people. And he shouts out at the top of his lungs, have mercy on me, son of David, Jesus, son of David. Verse 48, we continue the story. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Don't you love that? Shh, be cool. you're embarrassing us, Bartimaeus. We've got Jesus coming to tent. Shh. People rebuking him, forcefully trying to shut him up, and he shouted all the more, all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. I mean, you could almost feel the screech of brakes as Jesus stopped, looked over at him, and said, whoa, 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 call him. He said it to the people who were rebuking and, and, and trying to shut him up too, probably, which means probably his own disciples gathered around him were some of the ones trying to make him be quiet. Call him. So they called to the blind man. This is your lucky day, Bartimaeus. Cheer up on your feet. He, he's calling you. You were calling out to him. Now he's calling you. This is your day, Bartimaeus. This is your day. And I love these verbs. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Throwing, jumping, he came to Jesus. Blind as he was, he somehow found himself right in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him in, in verse 51 and says, what do you want me to do for you? Powerful words. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love that story. But today, I, I can't get over that question. What do you want me to do for you? 
if all of a sudden Jesus stopped, if all of a sudden right now there was just a, a screeching on the brakes and you were face to face with Jesus and he asked you that question, how would you answer it? What do you want me to do for you? I'm going to give you a couple options this morning on how you might want to answer that. If you look at probably our, our human nature and, and probably as it leans into our sin nature, here's what your, your first response probably is going to be somewhere along the lines of this. I just encapsulated it in one word. More. <laughs> more, Jesus. More than I have. That's what I would like. I mean, whatever that... That first thing comes to your mind, it probably fits in that category, more. Now, that's not a bad thing to ask of our Lord. I've, I've got to admit, I've asked that on, on many occasions, more than I want to admit. There have been times I've even received more as an answer. But I want to caution you. I want to caution you with that one. It has a tendency to lead into this thing called greed or to be reflective of this thing called greed. Greed is, a, is a, it's not, it, it's, it's an insatiable desire for more, whether we need it or not. Greed, greed reflects a, a wrong perception that we so often have in our, in our souls. The perception is this, if I just add more, I would be more. If I just had a little bit more, I would be more. So Jesus, give me more because I, I want to be more. I, I, I would be more happy if I just had, I would be more happy. If I just had, I'd be more fulfilled. If I just had, I'd be more satisfied. If I just had, I'd be more successful. I'd be more if I just had more. And Jesus, when he was, Teaching, I think it's in the book of Luke where he says, hey, you guys got to be on guard. Watch out for all kinds of greed, which means there's more than one. Every, every way that greed shows itself in Luke, the 12th chapter, because life is not measured by how much you own. Boom, we got to get that through our thick skulls, don't we? I'm not who I am by what I own. And what happens because of greed is sometimes I look at things and do not see them as a gift from God. I look at things and they become a substitute for God. So that when I go to God, instead of reaching out for his hand, I'm reaching out for a handout. Anybody have little children on Christmas Day? And they go through all the packages, the presents all wrapped up, and they almost can't unwrap one soon enough. Don't even look at it. Just here's the box and set it aside because there's another one to unwrap. And if you ever watch that chaos, you just kind of go, Who, whose kids are these? You know, whose grandkids are these? Where did we go wrong in the world? They don't even care about that one. They're on to the, to the next one. I wonder sometimes what God thinks when he sees our hope list. When he sees the gifts that he's given us. And we're ready, we're ready for more and the next one before we've even dealt with the ones that we have. Maybe before you spend much time on your wish list or your hope list, 
Make a list of, of things that you have already that you're grateful for. That you can just thank God for what he's already given you. Paul, when he's, he's referring to money and riches and things that we have, um, in, in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, has, has this great little phrase. He says, godliness and contentment is gain. In fact, it's great gain. Godliness with contentment is gain. It is more. There's something about being content with what I have and recognizing it as a gift of God before I just go down this path of more, 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 and more. So as you make your list, it might include more, but maybe a better, maybe a better way to look at that list is what can I do more with what I already have? That might be even a better thing to put down. What, can, what do I already have that I can do more with? That, that God has given me enough that if I steward it and I'm faithful with it, that he has a tendency to, to reward that more and more and more. Look at this verse of scripture in, in Luke. It says, if you're faithful with the little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. Being faithful in little things, you'll, you'll be faithful in large things. He, he rewards the faithful with, with more. This is a, a tough one to get a hold of when you think that you've got too little, that you think you've been shorted, that, that you could be more if God would just give you more, but you have so little to deal with and so little to work with, and especially when we get in the comparison game with other people. And God says, you know, you, you probably have enough. What I've noticed about God is he, he wraps up in these small little packages this huge opportunity. And as we're faithful with our small packages, he opens the door to opportunity and opportunity and opportunity that prospers. We think it's a trial because we have so little. And I think after I read the New Testament, it's more God is saying to us, it's a tryout. It's not a trial. It's a tryout to, to show your heart, to show your faithfulness, to show your stewardship. And as you're faithful in a little, I'll give you more. In the 19th chapter of Luke, Jesus tells a parable of, of uh, an owner who gave servants silver, bags of silver. And, and the first person took the bag of silver, and, and the result of his investment was 10 bags of silver, one with five and five. And it's a story that's told more than once in different ways by Jesus. And with the one that's 10, he says, you have been faithful with that. You've made this one bag of silver result in, in, in 10 bags of silver. I'm going to make you governor of 10 cities. What a huge reward. You've been, I, I can tell I can trust you with more. And that verse that follows at the end of that parable in Luke 19 says, to those who, who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what they have, the little that they have will be taken away. The one who, who buried that bag of silver, God said, I, the, the servant, the owner said, I, I'm not going to entrust you with any more. You're not using what you have. I wonder today, when all you're thinking about on your list, 
I wonder what you have there that God would love to see you steward better, be faithful better, and bless. Can you be patient enough with that? We're early on when Laura and I were planting a church up in the north part of the valley, uh, we left a church that was quite a bit larger, that had several hundred, almost a thousand people, and we planned this church, and we knew that we were going to start small, and we started with a dozen people or so, and a couple years into it, we were still like 100, 150 people. We thought thousands and thousands would be beating the door down in the school to show up, and, and I, I was ready for like a, a year of that, but when it got to be the second year of that, I was like, God, what, I don't know what I've done, but man, you short-circuited us. I mean, this is, ooh, this is horrible. And a verse of scripture out of, out of the book of Zechariah came to me from somebody that says, despise not the day of small things. Despise not the day of small things. That those small things God uses to develop into large things, but it takes a while to develop me as a person, us as a group or whatever. It takes a while. Now, 25 years down the road, that church has become huge, it's become significant, there's a beautiful building, I'm, all the things that, that I never could see happening in those first couple years because I was so intent on the littleness of the, of the moment. They didn't have, the, didn't have God working as soon as I wanted. But God in those years of littleness developed some of the best leaders, some of them that are, are pastors today, some of them that are still leaders of that church, and developed me in a way that... Um, that I never, would have, I never would have got any other way. I couldn't go to school or read a book to have happen what happened in the little times of my life. Be faithful with what you have. Here I think, though, is even a better way to answer that question. What do you want me to do for you? God, I want more of you. I want more of you. Above all other things, I want more of you. Jesus, I want more of you. Whether you give me more or not, whether you expand what I have or not, I, I just, I need you. I want more of you. I need you. Bartimaeus was blind. When his eyes were opened, He didn't go open a business. He didn't go buy a house. He didn't go head to the shopping mall. He didn't prance around bragging about what, you know what he did? It says he followed Jesus on the road. You opened my eyes. I never saw this before, but all I know, Lord, is I want more of you. I'll follow you wherever you go. I don't know where that, that whole path led. It's really interesting to me that he, that he did this, though. Followed him. It wasn't probably much longer that they started to head up to Jerusalem. I wonder if he made that six-hour six journey up to Jerusalem for the, the Passover, the feast of the Passover, with his large parade of Jesus and his followers, which would have, would have opened up the gates, the Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Jesus is king, Waving palm branches, that zenith of his popularity. I wonder if he continued to follow the rest of the week when it led to the cross. And in a few short hours to watch this king become the suffering servant and die for the sins of the world to redeem it. I wonder if he stayed around long enough 
for the resurrection in a couple days? I wonder if he hung out up there and continued to follow after all the, the people of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, long enough to, to find himself in the upper room on the day of Pentecost with 120 other people when Jesus appeared to the Holy Spirit and, and spread the Spirit out among all of them. I wonder if he was there then. I have a feeling he was. I don't know that. We don't know that. Because I have a feeling he was in the early church, that early New Testament church in Jerusalem. Because there were other beggars. In fact, Matthew talks about two beggars that were healed. There were other beggars, I'm sure, that were healed during this time. But Bartimaeus is singled out by name. It's like Mark, as he's writing the gospel, says, here's Bartimaeus' story. It's an amazing story. This man we love in our church, this man who's a leader in our church, this man who's involved in, in so many lives, he was a blind beggar on the side of the road, and Jesus touched him. And he couldn't get enough of Jesus. More and more and more. John, the 14th chapter, Jesus is talking, and he says a little word called abide. Abide in me. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. Just like a, a branch needs to abide in, in a vine or it doesn't give any fruit, you, you won't unless you abide in me. And we take that verse of scripture and we talk about, well, if I, if I hang in there with Jesus, I can do more. Don't miss, don't, don't jump there so quick. What, what he wants more than anything is for us to abide in him. Translations for that, remain. Remain in me. The little phrase I love is stay with me. Stay with me. Think about the last time you, you spent some time with God. Just you and the Lord. Devotion time, reading the Bible, worshiping, listening to worship music, how, however that was. Just, just you and the Lord. Quite possibly, whether you heard it or not, the last thing the Lord said to you as you were getting ready to leave the room and get about your business and go to the office or go to school or do the errands that you needed to do, quite possibly the last words he said to you was, stay with me? Won't you stay with me? How about five more minutes? Won't, won't you just stay with me? Oh, oh Lord, uh, I'm, I'm so busy today. I can't tell you. My, my appointments are in the stress and this. And, well, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll stay with you. I'll help you make those decisions. I'll help you in those broken relationships. I'll put your marriage back together. I'll help your children. Just stay with me. And let me stay with you. Don't make me wait another week. Don't make me wait another month. Don't make me wait till Christmas. <laughs> Let's stay together. Can you, can you even fathom a God that wants to just be with you? I mean, if you flipped it, God, what do you, what do you want from me? Rather than what do I want from God? I, I think God would say, what do I want from you? I want your heart. I want all of it. I want your whole heart. I want you to love me more. 
I want you to desire to be with me more. I want you to seek after me with a passion that drives you. I mean, church is good, ministries are good, and serving is good, doing all this stuff for me. But I want you. Some of you are going, whoa, 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 Don. That's, that's, a little, that's a little too much for me, God talking like that. Sounds a little too romantic to me. No, that's God. That's God, I want you. David in the psalm says, you know what? I've heard in my heart, not my head, not my mind, I've heard in my heart you say, come, I want to talk with you. Have you heard that? I want you more, Jesus, more. I want you more than anything else. David goes on to say, like a deer that pants after, after water. I pant after you. Goes on to say, my, my body, my flesh, my soul, long for you. Oh, to be in your courts. Oh, to be with you. And you read through the Psalms, and David has his heart for God, which is unbelievable. Some way, for some reason, when we, when we accomplish that, that we're getting more of Jesus, all the other things start to work out. All the hope lists and wish lists start to come together. Let me just tell you this. The chapter is called Identifying Hope. Identifying Hope. Let me identify hope for you. Hope is a person. And his name is Jesus. How does that influence your list? How does that help you answer the question? What do you want me to do for you? We're going to sing one more worship song. And uh, as always, there's some people come to the, to the front here that will, are willing to pray with you. And today you may want to, even during a song, just slip on down and have somebody pray with you if, if, if you want to respond. It, it may have something to do with this message. It may have nothing to do with this message. It may be for healing. Bartimaeus was healed. It may be for this thing that you, you feel distracted because of this insatiable desire for more, and you, you want to you turn that for more of Jesus. You want somebody to pray with you. Maybe as you go through that list, something comes to your mind. You can sit where you're at. You can stand. You can sing. You can respond however you want to. You can come pray. But... I just happen to think Jesus is pausing just long enough right now to ask this question. What do you want me to do for you? So Lord, these moments are yours. We give them to you. Help us to use them wisely in Jesus' name.